It's Just Business with Steve Thomas and your host, Chris Larry. Hello and welcome to another episode of It's Just Business on the Hogstye Network, the show where we look at the dollars and cents of the sports media business empire uh in all of its super wild card sunday 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 energy uh how you doing today steve i'm doing all right man how about how how are you doing pretty good we sit at this weird moment where we record this before uh super uh let me stress that super wild card sunday uh kicks off and you'll be listening to it after that smorgasbord of nfl football is completed six super wild card games so um yeah, we sit in this kind of uh, time netherland, Steve. Yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of odd. I don't really like the idea of a Monday night football wild card game very much. I I don't know. To me, I'm old school. I think they all ought to be in the weekend. I would be pretty irritated if I was either the I mean, there, there's no way the Eagles are going to win. So I'd be pretty irritated if I were the Bucks cuz they're going to have to play again. They're going to lose a day compared to some other you know, some other teams. So I, I, I think that's the NFL going one step too far and kind of hurting competition in the name of money, uh, you know, which kind of flows in our, into, uh, you know, our topic, but I don't like that. I think that I do three on Saturday, three on Sunday. I'm for anything that clears up Saturday afternoon from me having to argue why I have to watch this football game. <laughs> hey, look, it's only once a year, <laughs> one time a year. That's it. Tell the family or whoever your wife or whoever it is that, you know, she can lose you for one day. You'll be fine. You know, the big one for us down here in Houston is the Texans Browns, which is the first, very first. Right game. out of the gate. Yeah. 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 I actually think after I did a really way too long um, game preview, which is up on the Hogstye. I mean, not that you guys will need the, that after we record, but uh, I think that's one of the best games of the weekend, actually, because you got two of them, which are not good. You got the Cowboys-Packers game, which is not good. Cowboys, I think, are way too good. And then you got the Bills and Steelers. That one's going to be a blowout, too, I think. And so you've – and I, I, I don't believe in the Eagles either, I mean, until they show them the world that they are like the Eagles of old, meaning week three, um, I don't believe that. So I really think there's, of all of those, I think you got really three competitive games. Because those three I don't think will be. That's my take on it. Including the Texans-Browns. And I, you know, the, I I don't know. I, I think the Browns may take that one. Just a, a rookie quarterback, brand new you know, organization. Um, I think it may, the moment may be a bit too much for him, the Texans. I definitely think that that, that game is getting sort of short shrift uh, in terms of excitement. It should not be the first game just from a matchup perspective. Um, however, I do think that the Steelers bills is going to be highly watchable because we have an amazing equalizer in what looks to be a pretty monstrous snowstorm. So just from a TV watching perspective, I think that might be like blizzard bowl, which is always good television. Well, you got the other blizzard bowl. It's going to be the Kansas city, Miami game. You know, that's the other one. Yeah. Which, which you, you, you have had, be here's a here's a future casting and they they're they're never you know you have to read between the lines on some of this but 
I am curious to see what this Peacock only game does numbers wise or what the buzz is or whatever we can glean uh, from what uh, executives are willing to release. But uh, yeah, so you better you better gear up with your uh, your trial run of Peacock uh, NFL fans. You see, Peacock comes free with with Comcast's Xfinity cable service. So I actually have Peacock. So I will be able to watch that game without fear. I have Peacock too, but I don't get it for free, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I'm curious to see. So we'll probably see in our next show what the buzz coming out of uh, the uh, streaming, yeah. first ever streaming only game is. But as of right now and in our time lock, it makes no sense. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. We're talking about these games that are literally in the past for every single person that has right. is listening to this. <laughs> we could be totally wrong. Who knows? It could be 70 and sunny for the same, for the chiefs game. For all we know. Are you going to suffer through a major yeah. snowmageddon and Chris up there? No, I think we might, I don't know. We might skirt it, but we'll see. That's mostly North and Western New York, but we'll it's, see. We'll see. It's by, by Houston, Texas standards, it's going to be, as cold as it's ever been before down here, it's going to be in the twenties here, which is, which is unbelievably cold and something that South Texas is not prepared for, you know? Yeah. We have seen how Texas prepares for ice uh, over the last couple of years. Well, the problem is like fundamentally, uh, you know, you don't do things like invest in salt and snow plows and things and you you know that's they would never be used and so that's this nowhere down here is prepared for arctic like that because it's just a waste of money for the most part get those salt trucks out they don't Um, own it there are no salt trucks that's what i'm telling you there are no salt trucks (laughs) they don't own it i just you just repurpose a garbage truck (laughs) oh yeah that um Uh, How about dude hanging so, out the back, like throwing salt, you know, with a shovel? Hey, whatever works, whatever <laughs> works. Um, so we're looking at ESPN a little bit, and then of course when we look at ESPN, we're talking about Disney, which has a bunch of new media rights announcements and news, and even some kerfluffles, which we'll also get to. Um, but what we do know, Steve, right now is that you know the NCAA has kind of put together an omnibus content media package. ESPN has bought it, and uh, that's going to be your home for most NCAA broadcast television or stream television, for that matter. Yeah, okay. So um, this has been in a couple different places, but I'm reading this in Sports Business Journal. They will give you a couple free articles uh, um, every month. If you want to look at this, this is called Inside the NCAA's Media Rights Deal by Ben Portnoy. I assume there's no relation to uh, Dave Portnoy <laughs> with there because <laughs> this guy's a legitimate journalist and Dave Portnoy is Dave Portnoy, um, dated the 8th of January. So what what basically happens happened here is that ESPN has paid the NCAA $920 million for the broadcast rights to the bulk of NCAA championship um, championship tournaments slash competitions, specifically 40 different uh, championships, women's basketball, volleyball, gymnastics. Um, and, and, and so, and it's, I guess, apparently over 2,300 hours of programming over the scope of eight years. Sorry, it was an eight year deal, uh, 115 million annually. And so this is ESPN kind of doubling down um, on 
their broadcast rights. They've gotten into this and they've always been into this a little bit. They've always showed, um, they've always had some things, you know, like the tiddlywinks championships. So the, those type of things have been broadcast sometimes that, that kind of stuff. But the, the, um, I think the, what they're doing here is they're programming all of the other streaming channels. A lot of this stuff is not going to be on ESPN proper. Uh, you know, you're not going to get like, you know, some minor sport on ESPN proper, but all this stuff will be on ESPN two, ESPN plus streaming. And so this, it to me is, um, ESPN doubling down and secure, trying to secure their future in kind of a turbulent time for their corporate owner thoughts. I think that what this is, I, I would probably agree with that. I mean, they're, they're, their strategy has been clear for years, if not a decade plus, in terms of you just get as much of the games, quote unquote, um, and live content as you can. Yeah, and you anything. That market. Right. So um, I think there's two interesting things at play here. One is that there is obviously a growing audience for uh, at least a measured growth for sports that aren't just men's college football and men's college basketball. So it does say there's a the strength of what uh, they call the long tail, which is that if you can find audiences for your content uh, uh, down a long tail, then you can build a, a, a pretty big and robust business. So the long tail basically was invented as a way to explain Amazon um, as a retailer. So um, that they may, that their business was just as much built on niche products that they could provide a pathway for it, it was it, than paper towels. So this is a long tail play for them in that if you think about how many streaming and broadcast properties that Disney controls, which is Hulu, ESPN, Disney proper, all kinds of stuff, then and they know more what kind of target audiences, target marketing they have in those uh, different streaming paths, then they can match this content to those audiences. And so I think you see something like that. There's, you could see a very clear path between the Disney princess bundle on Disney leading into a national championship uh, competition for gymnastics. Uh, or something along those lines. And so once you can once you can use the sophistication of data that you have on your audience, put stuff that they care about in directly in front of them, that is the ground war of the streaming wars. Yeah, okay, but this column does not talk about Disney at all. Um, Disney isn't really mentioned in I can't here. I can't I can't explain why the author of the writer isn't as smart as me, Steve. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, I get it. it. Yeah, I mean, and I doubt the author is as smart as you. I mean, of course, nobody's as smart as I am. But regardless, <laughs> um, what I'm what I'm saying here is, if this is specifically ESPN centric, I don't know if they're selling the rights in a broad enough fashion to allow Disney to broadcast these type of things on those other properties, Hulu. Disney Plus, uh, you know, they're giving to me. This column is giving us the impression that this is solely limited to ESPN. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how that's how this is kind of framed. It doesn't. It's not talking about Disney being involved in using Disney properties. It's specifically talking about ESPN properties. So while I agree with, 
like your broad view of it. I don't know if that's really what they're doing here. I don't know if I just think that. Well, I mean, I could obviously easily be wrong, and this person has a lot more uh, context than I do. However, I think they're just reporting on something that's a little bit more narrow and what this says. First of all, any contract with ESPN is a contract with Disney. No, no, so, not, not, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. ESPN, I think, is a wholly owned subsidiary of Disney. You could contract directly with ESPN and not necessarily have the rights to other Disney properties included in the broadcast contract. I this is what I know. Okay, go this ahead. is what I know, Steve, as a consumer. So this is consumer okay. awareness. Okay. I because I have all these dumb things. I log on to Hulu, and they're serving me access to live ESPN Plus content right there on the homepage. So it, because ESPN, because you know it's all the same, whatever the machinations are. What I know right now is if I log on to Hulu's homepage. The first thing I see now, some of it's because of things I've clicked on or whatever. So I understand what they're ser- that there's some that what it's serving me. But the first thing it serves stuff, me yeah. is all either currently live or upcoming live broadcasts of NBA, NHL, and whatever they've got, ESPN via ESPN Plus through the bundle is servicing me. So they and. There's some interesting articles about how Netflix is sort of one and the and the the key the streaming wars. The key metric is is how all these other companies are licensing out their con their content. That they're sort of given up being the only place you can see these things and knowing that they can just license their stuff out. So this to me is vertical integration within that Disney empire that it, to me I you can see the paths already. They they're already like What's ESPN plus what's Disney and what's Hulu through the bundle is becoming you just going between those three services. It's hard to tell that you're changing services. So you're not saying that Hulu necessarily broadcasts this stuff directly. You're saying that ESPN content is broadcast on Hulu as you can access ESPN through your Hulu account. That's what you're saying. Yes, it's saying get get to Suns Warriors click here and it's and it's integrated in such a way that it's even hard to tell you what you're what you're looking at exactly because that's not the case for for me you know in cable tv i go to espn i watch espn that's so that i agree with what i thought you were saying is not what you were saying what i thought you were saying was you know like disney plus is going to run you know the women's gymnastics thing and that's not what this column says but you're just saying it's integrated in such a way that it's going to be there no matter what and everybody knows that of course so and when you know when a, you know a, a nine ten year old girl or the parents of a nine or ten year old girl like oh sophia the first is over you might like and one of those things is oh the of course yeah uh, look yeah. here's women's track championship and look it's a strong female or whatever and uh, yeah i get it yeah there weren't markets for these th- you know like you know any sport that wasn't and we even had a better definition think about when we grew up steve which we won't mention the there were four or five major sports or whatever, and some sports that like popped, like horse racing or whatever. But everything else was forced onto three hours on Saturday afternoon ABC Wide World of Sports, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, you, you know, like, and that what they've done now from a market perspective is hyper focus these markets, and now they actually have pipelines to feed that content directly into a paying audience, and that means that paying audience doesn't have to be massive. 
So for people who are too young to know what we're talking about, Wild World of Sports was a three-hour show every Saturday on ABC, as Chris said, in which they broadcast all kinds of, like, minor yet interesting sports. You would see, like, skiing, and, you know, you could see all kinds of stuff, like like the, like the, the, the... the credit, the intro credits. I remember had a a ski a, a skier that went up this crazy ramp or something, went flying yeah, off and crashed. Defeat. Yeah, that one. Yeah, the agony defeat. And so that's what he's talking about. And and it seems to me like I think what you're saying is the entire broadcast of sports has to some extent become a never ending permanent wide world of sports. In that yes. you can find the Tiddlywinks Championship somewhere if you want to find the Tiddlywinks Champion. Like ESPN is literally broadcast like cornhole stuff at times stuff like that like literally and so you can find all that and and so if they're going to have all these platforms i think here's what it really is if espn is going to have all these platforms there's a zillion different espn there's like three different cable espn channels at least on xfinity espn espn2 espn deportes and there may be more for all espn isn't there espn classic or something too Uh, you know and then there's the streaming thing and and whatever is going out on disney there's espn3 and so they have to program all these things and so you're going to need 40 different nca sports to literally fill up time and all those fill up time and space and all those things and so that's, I think that's what we take away from this. And I like your vertical. Now that I understand what you're talking about, um, I like that. One thing that's kind of focused in this column, I'm curious about your opinion on, is like the rise in prominence of women's basketball in particular. And one thing I did not expect, I did note, I don't think we talked about it, but I did note that the ratings for the NCAA women's title game were way, way, way bigger than I thought. Way bigger. Mentions 9.9 million viewers compared to 14.69 with the men's title game, which admittedly wasn't that hot of a game. Um, I did not expect that. And, and this article is the, the column on Sports Business Journal is really hyping the fact that women's sports is a part of this. I think it makes the collectivist approach that the NCAA has taken here, right? You have a couple... You have a couple of these other rands that start to have viability, uh, mostly through women's sports, women's basketball being the clear number one. But I think volleyball and I even say gymnastics and and maybe even a little bit track and field sort of give you, you know, that those things have risen. The audience has grown. And so you can build a, a little bit more of a robust package. The other thing the article talks about is that, you know, kind of this A-B choice of do you just you, is women's NCAA basketball big enough to slice off on its own um, and let it go its own way and license that separately, probably for a little bit more money, or do you use it as the, you know, high tide lifts all boats for, for the package, which is obviously what, what, you know, how they got there. We're not quite sure, but that's what, that's what happened. That's the contract they signed. So it is interesting. I think this, the strength of, or probably more importantly, the ways to find audiences for those things made this overall a, a more attractive attractive package. I think it's the collective over the individual. Because, no, I, yeah. women's college basketball is not enough to prop up a major contract on its own. The WNBA would have died years ago, but for the NBA propping it up for whatever reason. And it, it, women's basketball, like men's college basketball doesn't do all that great 
outside of the tournament in terms of ratings and audience and stuff. Women's basketball is going to be a fraction of that. So I think it it may be like a key feature of the collective that they're buying here, but I don't think it's big enough on its own. And that may be part of why they're doing that. Because like college football is still on its own because that's way bigger than all the rest of this combined. Uh, you know, so if it was big enough to sell individually, they would have done it. So um, that's what I think about that. But I, I like your theory. Um, I, you know, where the hell is this money coming from? Uh, is Disney just infusing all of this? Because it doesn't. Does the does uh, ESPN really have 115 million more dollars laying around on top of all the hundreds of millions they're already spending annually? Where on earth is the money coming from other than just straight out of Disney investors' pockets? You ever wondered that? Uh, yes, have. on all of these things, but, you know, I mean, we, we, but I don't know. It's all, it's all, at this level of money, it's all funny money and creative financing. You know, who knows? Um, well, especially now that Disney paid the massive dividend of 30 cents a share <laughs> a while ago. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. After all well, this time, I mean, 30 cents a share for a, for a stock that's going at like 90 bucks a, a share now. I think they're just, you know, we'll see. They're leveraging for bets. The, the interesting part, though, is, and this actually goes back, you know, this actually counters my own long tail theory here to a degree. But you can imagine that what Disney's doing with ESPN specifically is just making it fat enough to sell. Right. Because yeah, oh, yeah. you get these things in, you get, you, know, you we got a 10 year contract with the NCAA. We've got these other sports contracts we, we were about to talk about. So I'll just throw this in now. There's also uh, momentum towards them basically taking over all the NFL media properties. That's Red Zone. That's NFL Network. That's all the programming on NFL Network. That's NFL Films. That's a whole, you know, family NFL of, media, of, which is a subsidiary of the yeah. NFL. So ESPN might also be there's a deal for them to take over that. So you could imagine getting all of those fundamentals in place to just fatten the pig to slaughter and then sell it. Well, I think the big picture that people don't understand is that Disney, which owns ABC and ESPN, is absolutely hemorrhaging money. And there's there's a stock proxy war going on right now. Uh, you know, guys trying to take over the board of directors. Um, their Disney movie properties have uh, have lost just tons and tons and tons of money. Um, their parks have gone way downhill. COVID hurt them. But Disney needs cash in the worst way. And uh, ESPN is probably their most successful property. So I've heard, not heard, I've read for a while that ESPN or that um, Disney may try to sell ESPN just because they need to streamline and they need they need the money. And so pro creating a fatter cow to put on the chopping block may be just the way to go in this. And I think what you mentioned before about the NFL is a part of it. I must have just transitioned now to this. The other story here, why don't you tell them about the other NFL story, Chris? Uh, this is, I mean, this is um, in pro football talk, so, you know, your mileage may vary, but... Well, um, Mike Florio is untrustworthy, so, you, you know, take it for a grain of salt, but yes. what he's saying here that makes, appears to make some sense. And when you look at where his sources lie, being such a in bigwig at NBC now, you would suggest that these kinds of stories, he probably has a clearer look into, like, what's going on with individual teams. Yeah, so, he didn't know a damn thing about football, but, yeah, this kind of stuff he may have some knowledge about 
Right. He's closer and has better sources. So basically the deal would be that ESPN would get would take over the production of and license content and basically take all of that off the NFL's hands. I mean, the NFL, obviously, I don't know how long the NFL network has been around 15 years, maybe whatever that. Yeah. Um, so they made a strategic decision to get, you know, to control their own media, to create all these media properties. They must, they must think that's somewhat of a bloat for them. Um, we're not, we're, we weren't going to bring this up as a storyline, but they did just take, give, offer 200 employees buyout. So they must be doing some kind of restructuring and retooling. You can imagine them saying, why are we, you know, why are we covering, you know, having all these media empires to take on the people that already are doing that, you know, where we could probably just license that out, take that off our books, et cetera, et cetera. So you can sort of see some internal uh, machinations within the NFL front office that these sort of play a part of. And, you know, this would just, you would just ship all of the responsibility for that production and housing over to somebody who wakes up every day thinking about that. The funny thing is, is, is their first thought is all of the conflicts of interests here, which are pretty substantial, but already kind of exist. But a move from the NFL front office to ESPN would actually be a layer of uh, separation versus what they have right now, which is completely government state of well, uh, media. Well, first of all, according to Wikipedia, because Wikipedia is always right, NFL Network was formed on 4 November 2003. So if that is accurate, then they're 21 years, you know, more than 20 years old. Oh, but, they can drink. Sorry, 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 <laughs> NFL media. <laughs> okay, but don't, let's get this transaction right here, okay? So this isn't just NFL licensing NFL media over to ESPN. This is in the NFL is going to, if, if this transaction goes through, and this is just something that's clearly in talks right now, it hasn't closed, but this is the NFL taking an equity stake in ESPN. Okay. And so that, what that means for the uninformed is that the NFL, if this goes through is going to buy a portion of ESPN. Cause remember, I just told you, Disney's trying to make money, and so they need to offload. And I've heard these rumors about, read these rumors about the NFL about this before. And so this isn't just a licensing agreement where it, the NFL gives ESPN the right to take over NFL properties. It's the NFL buying a part of ESPN, and in conjunction with, so now they're in bed with ESPN. So I don't know if I agree with the one layer removed thing, because if the NFL owns part of ESPN, it's still the same problem. And so what it really is, is like, off yes, offloading NFL media to the professionals a little bit, but they're going to own a part of the professionals, so the same problem still exists. Yeah, fair. And I think my, my starting point is it's all there these even in even if everything as it stands today right now the morning of saturday before super wild card weekend it's already a mishigash it's already a mess it's already all kinds oh, of yeah. you know like we're starting from a place of you know we we already know that the nfl has its thumb on whatever espn does with their nfl coverage as of the contracts that exist right now well yeah cuz the i mean we've seen this happen in the past where the nfl is obviously kind of subtly told ESPN to quash certain stories, and I'm not going to repeat them all here. It's no point, but that has happened. Um, and this is, is only going to make that worse. And, and NFL, I think the NFL Network has done a fairly decent job 
not perfect, but a fairly decent job of covering things a little bit more fairly than I would think an in-house media channel would do. Like, you know, the Red Zone Entertainment, which used to be owned by Dan Snyder, would never cover the Wash what was then the Washington Redskins in a negative light because Dan Snyder was a, you know, tiny little terror and all that. NFL Network has been slightly more fair than that, I think. And so I, to me, it's kind of a lateral move, uh, you know, they so, but it's certainly not going to make anything better. The NFL will still have their thumb on the screws of ESPN, probably more so now that they're, if this goes through, going to be owned by them. But I do think we can maybe see an improvement of the quality of NFL media because ESPN is very good at that. And so we may, maybe we'll see better and more interesting content from them. Yeah, maybe. Although I've actually, over the 21 years uh, that I've been engaging with NFL content, I've actually been usually pleasantly surprised at two things, the quality of it and that they did do at least a nominal job of having, you know, it feel like somewhat not completely uh, Pravda. Um, but I agree that probably does take a production level increase. And I think it makes sense for all in, all involved. Um, one interesting thing to see what how they handle and I think unquestionably the most successful sports broadcast innovation that the NFL network did was the red zone channel. Um, and the red zone channel is a key component of selling upsell to the NFL package in, through your cable provider. And kind of more importantly, a more interesting moving forward is it's a key it's a key feature of NFL Sunday ticket, whether it was DirecTV or YouTube. So um, especially when you're in that four o'clock window, sometimes it's the only it's the only way to have it to to see the games that are, are blacked out um, in your market. So if you want to stay on the app, the red zone channel at least will jump into, you know, Baltimore, Miami, if that's blocked out because of your local TV is carrying it. So and, and blacked out on the on the on the direct TV. So I'm curious to see what happens then, because you can imagine a kind of a strange bedfellows if ESPN is producing the red zone and, you know, the red zone is a key feature of YouTube TV's direct, uh, you know, direct TV package. It's one thing when it's um, the NFL, because that's partners one to one. This is a threefold partner. You know, believe it or not, I've never seen Red Zone. I've never had it, never watched it, because I'm always oh, watching the, great, the, the Reds. It's the greatest, it's one of the greatest things they've done in broadcast television in 50 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always been watching the Redskins games. And, you know, I've always, I've, you know, I, I think I told you I was not eligible for uh, the NFL package on DirecTV without being a DirecTV subscriber. So I've never had it. And so I've always had to watch Redskin games through either in sports bars or nefarious ways, basically <laughs> one of those two things. And so I've never had to go to the red zone, but conceptually, I know you're right. And I know the red zone is, is a uh, kind of a key component to the strategy here, especially with this, the fantasy football set, you know, cause there's now a lot of people too. out there. Yeah. yeah. Who aren't really fans of a particular team. They're fantasy football fanatics, and they would rather watch the red zone to get a better sense of overall what's happening. And they're not necessarily, it's not like even, I don't know, a decade ago where everybody's pretty much married to their team. That is not what's going on. So the red zone, I think, is catering to that crowd. But I do think it's interesting to see what will, how, how does it change if ESPN is in charge? Um, 
uh, you know, because ESPN, the only broadcast rights ESPN has is, is uh, what is it, the Sunday night games? No, that's NBC. They have Monday night football. It's, they have Monday night football and then whatever ancillary games come on the special yeah. days and playoffs. Right. right. And so this is a way for ESPN to get more involved on a Sunday. Uh, you know, because I could see them expanding somehow or changing the red zone coverage a little bit. Um, and them having, because they've got to play the Tiddlywings championships on Sunday afternoons. You, you know, because they don't have the NFL, and so they've got to it, they they compete, and there's generally not that good of stuff that they can compete with. You oh, know? They don't so even this, try. I know that's what I mean. They play the yeah. tiddlywinks championships and stuff, whatever like junk leftover content they have. And so, if they are more involved in NFL media, maybe this is a way to better integrate ESPN on a Sunday without them actually yeah. getting to broadcast games. That's a great point. I'm just kind of curious to see how they'll, you know, how they'll negotiate that partnership. Did they not do it and they just this copycat it? Does YouTube just say, well, you know, we can we can get a we can get an NFL uh, VJ who can go from, you know, throw up Packers Bears on my left panel, you know, which is what they did, <laughs> you know. Um, how about this? Just as how easily, about, right? A really wild, really wild one. How about just dumping the red zone onto ESPN on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, that's, that's not mentioned in here. That's not mentioned in here. Yeah. but that that you could imagine Alphabet, which is the you know corporate owner of YouTube, would lose its mind considering how much they paid for the ticket. But yeah, it'd have to get factored. And, and Alphabet is Google, by the way. For those who, yeah. I mean, it, Chris is right. Alphabet's the parent of Google, which is the parent which owns YouTube. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, maybe that's ESPN's play here. Maybe because that would put them in a better position of every network. I mean, Red Zone, I don't know what the ratings are for Red Zone, but I would think it's got significant ratings. You know, and I oh, think it's it, a, huge, you, right? You would have an NFL revolt if red, if a Red Zone or a Red Zone capability went away. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and Red Zone, if I could just, if it was done right, you could maybe even beat the ratings for some of these NFL games. Not the major ones like Cowboys, you know, Patriots or something like that. But for like lesser games like the Washingtons versus the Cardinals of the world, Red Zone might beat the ratings if it was accessible on ESPN. It's the greatest thing in the. It's the greatest thing for the four o'clock window because you're especially now with the, the fanning games out all over the week. You know, it's where you have the least amount. Right, there's only. Sometimes it's as little as three to four games in that four o'clock window. So you're actually not missing much, um, you know. And like I said, if you're on your app, you you can't actually watch what game is broadcast in your local market. But with only three or four games, you actually basically do watch it through the app um, and you're watching all those things. And which, which is interesting because all the TV people will tell you that the most valuable real estate for NFL football is actually not prime time. It's actually the four o'clock window. Um, so those things, that's it, why it they focus the bigger games why they, on the yeah. four o'clock window. So what I think you'll probably see, we talk all the time about how they're just rebuilding cable. I think what event in that scenario, what eventually happens is YouTube TV, which is there's basically their cable replacement package and basically works very similar to cable. They'll just negotiate with ESPN. They're already carrying those ESPN channels and they'll just they'll just negotiate. Uh, you heard it here first, a carriage fee that would include ESPN's, you know, just like it works right now with, with your local cable and YouTube TV and ESPN would negotiate an amount for all those things. And then probably on the YouTube TV standpoint, then they're just going to upsell you to the NFL network, upsell you to the package, upsell you to the red zone through its carriage deal with ESPN. 
we said for years on this show that cable what cable tv isn't so much dying as it's turning into streaming yeah it, yeah we're just going to stream cable right so we're talking about you were talking about hardware not kind of like, concepts like right now today there is a cable for every tv in my house but one there's a cable running from the wall to the television for me because i'm a xfinity subscriber the room i'm sitting in does not have a cable port in it so it is streaming xfinity online services to this tv and it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever and 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 the future is what you're saying it's you subscribe to hulu or youtube you let's use youtube tv youtube tv is going to have carriage fee license agreements with all these other channels so you can just go to youtube tv and then dial up abc or espn or the history channel whatever it is you want will be there it's not quite there yet but that's where we're heading and what we're where we're heading is like that's what xfinity is going to and comcast are going to become or not our time warner those are going to become that that's what it is let me ask you this with this nfl espn takeover or you know a merger not quite a merger but espn taking over nfl taking over part of espn blah are you worried about the objectivity of the analysis and journalism uh that surrounds football yes but i also feel like you know, that's a, a, akin to being buried to your neck in the sand and the tide rising it a little bit past your nose and going, well, what's going on here? You know, so like, I just don't know, you know, like, I think it's a matter of degrees. Is this is this some kind of, you know, um, uh, Rubicon line here? I don't know. But I, I think, you know, to me, we're just moving the Rubicon line on this topic all the time. So it, I, it's kind of hard to know. I, I think it's troubling 100%. Do I think, you know, I think it, um, you know, they want to control, you know, no few entities in the globe want to control the message like the NFL. So anything <laughs> that gives them more access to controlling the message, they're pro. Well, I think to a certain extent, Sports media isn't real media in the first place. Uh, you know, like analysis of the economy and politics and the election and, and you know, I don't know, you know, abortion rights coverage. Those are serious topics that that even though we don't get it would is best with objective, independent analysis on whatever side you're on or whatever you're trying to see. Sports is not that important. OK, sports is entertainment. Uh, you know, and so I think the critical nature of the objectivity in quote real news is not really the same as football because you know how important is it that I mean, yes, we want to have an objective look don't get me wrong, but if the coverage is a bit more slanted to the cowboys is is society going to crumble because of it? so I don't know i mean i I am worried about it, but I also don't think it's in the world of problems, this isn't a, a real problem. Uh, you know, it's not that important. So I'm not as bothered. I, what I'm saying is I'm not as bothered by this as I would be if it was a merger or something that would affect analysis of real news. Fair. Yeah, and that's a, that's a strong point. I, I think where I find it the most troublesome is in 
the hyper consolidation, and we're just going to see more consolidation, uh, not less, of, in in media over the couple of coming years. I mean, I think uh, you know my prediction was you know you're, the merger of I think I can Paramount and and uh, Warner Discovery. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're going to see more of that, not less. And so I think it's less about the field of sports, and it's more about the corporate entities, bef- you know, and the the money flows. And so if if there's a complete lack of objectivity and then there's this much money changing hands, that's that, you know, that's where it does become somewhat problematic. So it's like when you zoom out and look at the players, that's what worries me more than, you know, are we getting, you know, more Cowboys games on TV than we should or, you know, so on and so forth. Well, but the other part of it that I that concerns me more is when there's legitimate issues you know, involved in the, like like the we've talked a lot on this show about how the NFL is in bed with more in bed now with gambling than they ever have been. You know, they DraftKings right. is a sponsor and all that corruption at that level is important and is legitimate news. And if the principal outlet covering the NFL is owned by the NFL in whole or in part, ESPN. I think it's far more. It's a lot easier for the for the NFL to put the kibosh on the analysis of an actually important story like that, or you know, discrimination. I'm making stuff up, but like discrimination by the NFL against pick your pick your group, you, you know, or anything, or like the Dan Snyder stuff. If they wanted to protect Dan Snyder, it would have been a lot easier to do so if, if they had their finger on the pulse of ESPN, and so that so. I'm not someone, I don't really, like I said, I mean, you know, whether they're covering the Cowboys objectively or whatever is, at the end of the day, just entertainment, not that important. But those other stories are important, and I do think it makes it more difficult for them to cover those real important things fairly. Yeah, I think we're saying the same thing. I was actually going to bring up the the gambling one as a, a good example of where this starts to get murky. Yeah, exactly, and because that's legitimate. If if gone, da- if it could go down a road, I mean, you know, Vegas was started by mobsters. That's who controlled Vegas for years, like literally the mob. And and those are the the modern version. The extension of what started Vegas is what now the NFL's getting in bed with. And so you want that to be covered fairly because that is a legitimate societal story. So that's what would concern me about it more so than, you know, the other, the on the field stuff, which is utterly unimportant. Yeah. So as we continue down the uh, positives and negatives of the distributed megacorp long tail, um, we got some, you know, that we... Pat McAvee provides such a petri dish on so many things on 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 the regular, and I'm not just talking about his tank tops. But <laughs> he gave us <laughs> he gave us another one over these last couple of weeks with his with his uh, buddy Aaron Rodgers, um, where you start to see where all of these connections and all of this kind of large corporate background and, and connections start to play out in some pretty interesting ways. I'm sure all of you listening um, know about um, know about this, you know, Pat McAvee and Jimmy Kimmel and Aaron Rodgers and Norby Williams. And basically, um, Aaron Rodgers says some things. Um, he says some things about Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel reacts that's all fine, right? People can say whatever they want. The interesting part is they all work for the same people, right? Like this is all, you know, like it's one thing 
you know, I, they all theoretically could walk down the hall and, and talk to each other. Not not literally. But you know what I mean? You know, this is we don't generally see intercorporate, you know, battles play out on these different platforms. And that's just the reality when the game board is this big. Yeah. And, and just to explain for those of you living under rock, Aaron Rodgers openly insinuated that Kimmel was a Jeffrey Epstein um, what's that pleasure? I was that island called. He was he was insinuating that Kimmel was involved in the Epstein shenanigans, and Kimmel took exception to that. And you know, um, so that's what that was. But so Aaron Rodgers has been a regular on Pat McAfee, and he said all that on Pat McAfee's show. But the big picture paid regular, paid regular, yeah, sorry, paid regular, right? And so McAfee, by extension, owns a part of the controversy because he's paying Rodgers to say outlandish things which is why he's a guest okay so the big picture here though is pat mcafee's show is a con is contracted to espn now it's not an espn created thing in-house thing it's they bought this property and they broadcast it's it's a contract thing um on here and and that is distinctly different from what espn has always been been ESPN has promote produced almost all their stuff in house. They brought Barstool on for a while, for like ten days or something, and then dumped them. And now Barstool was the same as McAfee in that they were a contracted broadcast thing. And like five minutes later, they said some things that ESPN didn't like, and they were gone. Now the difference here, by the way, you can read about this. The story I saw, we saw this in, is. Uh, out of variety, believe it or not, Pat McAfee shatters old TV rules and shows how much ESPN's game is changing by Brian Steinberg dated the 11th of January. And so the big picture point here is they're saying is that the kind of shtick that, that Pat McAfee does, which is outlandish attention grabbing headlines is different than what ESPN used to do. And it's highlighted by, um, Aaron Rodgers, Norby Williamson, all this stuff that's happened. Um, so it's is it showing ESPN is desperate to be relevant? Yeah, maybe because ESPN's in-house contents really sucked for a long time, and, and it got um, it, not partisan, but it, it, it they started delving into social issues and stuff, and it alienated a lot of folks, people on my side of the aisle, and so this is kind of their attempt to uh, kind of back away from that. I think. But then they didn't in the end, I think, is the end result. They might have made right? a mistake, and, but what I'm saying is yeah. this was maybe their attempt, and they bought the guy who's more outlandish than what they wanted, <laughs> you know? Yeah, or, you know, sort of just a con you know controversy controller, and then they have no controversy, you know, chaos agent um, and that they have less control over. Because what the article does is actually show, like, a pretty, you know, kind of cross-ideological, like, span of these people were kind of shown the door and the change in leadership yada yada but like this is an in-house to steve's point this is contracted although you the other thing the article says in an interesting way is that it also might signal a little bit that pack mcavee knows he needs to play ball somewhat to keep this sweetheart deal right because well, he did he did kick aaron Rodgers off the show Right. For, you know, with not definition on whether it's ever or how long or whatever, but for now. the rest of this quote unquote football season, I think was, right. the, which is, you know, six weeks. So, um, 
But did, so you, I think you saw both sides give a little, probably realizing that, you know, wrecking a deal, what is it, five months in, is probably <laughs> bad for all involved, uh, is generally a solid statement. So I think everybody back could, off the cliff. McAfee could just take the show and go to a million other platforms, too, and do the same business. He doesn't really need ESPN. Yeah, but- yeah, but he he must have he must not he he must feel like he needs them some. Well, he's, um, he needs their money. He's making a lot of money. Yeah. You know that's what it is. But we've he seen him. We've seen him walk away. How many times can you walk away from this kind of money? Because we saw him do it with Fanduel. There's only so many times that you know Pat McAfee's not you know he's he, you know he's not the richest guy in the world, right? Like how many times can you walk away from big paydays? Yeah, yeah, but at the end of the day, he's going to have a platform for this kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I just I think, think it's more lucrative here. Have you ever seen this? I've I've never watched it. I mean, it's I have stuff to just do during clips the day. that you know, in terms of like having to inter- engage with this nonsense. I don't find you know, like even aesthetically, I don't want someone like hopping up on their heels in front of the desk. And I, I just even I just not what I'm even like. I don't care. It does. It almost doesn't even matter what's coming out of anyone's mouth. It just doesn't appeal to me. You just don't like to see this kind of. You know, it, it's just I don't. Yeah, I don't know. And also, just like. Call me old school, but I think a little bit of production value. I don't need just. I, I don't feel like everything I turn on on television or engage with is something that I could just as easily gone to YouTube. I don't know. I mean, wow, wow, I'm really showing some age. But you know, you know what I mean. Like I don't. You know, I don't. You know, I I like a little bit of production value. I like some. I like creative people thinking about creative ways to put something on, not just like you know hitting camera on and seeing Yahoo say nonsense. Well, because it didn't McAfee, McAfee started as like a just an independent YouTuber type. I think that's where he started this whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's basically what he told him: if you want me, you just you just hit you just let me do everything, and you hit record and broadcast, and I'll take care of the rest. Well, well yeah, and it might. I think it shows the desperation of ESPN to a certain extent to allow that to happen. Because my point is, they never did that kind of thing before. They booted this article this Friday. Article talks about they booted Barstool in like days. You yeah, because Barstool, you should have known what Barstool is. I'm not a huge Barstool fan. It's it's sticky. It's shock. It's it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's Dave Portnoy. You know, and that's who he is. And ESPN was stupid if they didn't know what they were bringing in. Um, and, but McAfee fits into bar the Barstool kind of methodology perfectly. He is he is that same exact thing. And now ESPN is embra- not only bringing him in. Um, but they're letting him do his thing, except like you said, like we said, they clamped on on him somewhat, I guess they did boot Aaron Rodgers off for insult. I'm all in favor. I hate Jimmy Kimmel. I'm all in for in favor of insulting Jimmy Kimmel, but don't lie about it. And Aaron Rodgers is making up nonsense, you know? And so they did clamp down on him, but I don't know how, I think it's ESPN showing desperation out of, because they've collapsed their empire in a lot of ways. I just think it's stupid from Mac. I think he realized how wrong it was. I don't care what anyone thinks about Jimmy Kimmel. We all the, the think about the one time that many of us somewhat defended Dan Snyder over the last 15 years. It was when he was falsely accused of being associated with Epstein. That was the one time all of us, you know, unzipped the hazmat suit a little bit and said, yeah, that that seems a little. Well, there's no evidence of it, you know, and there's no evidence. I don't like Kimmel at all, but there's no evidence that Kimmel has been involved in Epstein. And and, and I don't know, like, even if McAfee didn't know that Aaron Rodgers is going to say this. Mac, if he could have pushed back on him, going, hold on a minute, you've never seen, you yeah. know, you that's not legit. Right. He could have said that, and he didn't. He just let Rogers kept talking, you know. 
And I also think there's a there's just that like what are you doing like that that's just as dumb and and you're gonna get your you're gonna open yourself up to you know a legal response no one wants you know and you know hysterically the next couple of days later gets you know it was just all very very stupid but let's say it was Jimmy Fallon different corporate entity I think ESPN is like this is what we signed up for right the problem really wasn't the controversy. Ultimately, the problem is that it was in house. The problem, you know, like if this had been Jimmy Fallon, it would have still been like the same kind of kerfluffle and all that. But I don't, you know, but ESPN, I, I think Aaron Rodgers shows up the following Wednesday or whatever. You know, I think it's because, you know, like we can't we can't have these kind of battles happening with within the empire. But that's like, that's like Fallon would never allow that to happen, though. Even if somebody spouted off something crazy, Fallon would have gone, whoa, and made a joke of it or something and kind of made it known that, you know, this is stupid in one way or another, where McAfee didn't at all. McAfee didn't play into it, but he just let it go. Fallon would never do that. No, I'm saying if Fallon had been the target. Oh, the target. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm okay. just swapping out a different corporate-owned late-night host. So if, the, if, if, he, if, if Rogers had picked a fight with Fallon, ESPN is like, well, this is what we signed up for and probably just keeps yeah. it moving. But and, you're you know, saying because it's in-house, it's a bigger problem. Yeah, yeah maybe so. And then because now it draws in the executives and, you know, now it's like, you know, some boardroom like, what the, can, can you guys not control these guys? We're not paying yeah. for them to pick fights within the, within the farm. Yeah, I mean, of course, Jimmy Fallon's a huge hypocrite of his own, but that's another story for another day. Part of the reason why I don't like him. But yeah, no, that's certainly, I mean, you know, don't beat up on, don't, let's not beat up on the neighbors, uh, you know, like, yeah. don't beat up on family. If you're going to beat somebody up, go do the, you know, someone on the other team. Yeah. So, um, super fascinating. I predict, if a mini prediction here is, you know, Aaron, you know, by the time the 2024 NFL season starts to heat up sometime in late summer, early fall, Aaron Rodgers will be back on a, a weekly. Uh, of yeah. course he will. Aaron Rodgers is a loose cannon and a weirdo. Uh, you know, I, I mean, he's, you know, he talked about like doing ayahuasca and it's like, you know, whatever country that was, he was the coolest in. thing about him. <laughs> no, it was not, Chris. <laughs> Sorry to say, but but he's like at to some level or another, kind of estranged from some of part, his his family and stuff. I mean, and I, I don't know the details of all that. But my point is, Aaron Rodgers is not normal, and he's a total he's wild a prickly pear. Yeah, he's a weirdo, and so um, he's good in that respect because you never know what he's going to say. And to be honest, I mean, McAfee may have been told to temporarily shut it down, but he loves it. She give him truth, sir. I mean, he loves it. It's more attention to this show than he had before. You know, it's why it falls into the known. Any news is better than no news category. You know. Yeah, the the, the boardroom just wishes they were smart enough not yeah. to pick. Yeah, pick you know, pick your pick other targets. Pick your other ultra liberal host you want to beat up on. You know, Aaron. You know, you don't pick the ABC guy because like you you have a point. If he had said it about Fallon or. You know, who's that idiot on CBS? Stephen Colbert. I mean, somebody like that, it might have made the news, but it might not have been quite the story, you know. So I agree with no, you there. No way. It never, no, 100%. Um, but it's been, a, for, it's been not a great week for uh, McAvee's paid guests. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers got himself in this. We just talked about it. And then Nick Saban retired. I wonder if he, you know, so like, you know, his two big uh, paid guests that helped put him on the map. Um been a rough he week. Can, he can have Saban on every week still. 
Yeah, it can, but like event, you know, a year or two later, you know, it's going to. No, I think. Well, I think Saban is a pretty boring guy. I mean, Saban is like the Bill Belichick of college sports. You know, he's not a great guest. It's just you had him on there, and it was interesting because he was. Um, in the mix every week. Yeah, yeah, and it, we, Alabama's the media darling and all of that. So I, but I, so it's less about Saban the personality and more about who Saban is. So in that regard, thinking through it live on the air here, yeah, you're right. I mean, Saban becomes less relevant because he's less interest. He's not that interesting a guy, and so when he's not in the middle of things, it's not that it's not big news anymore. Unless, unless he doesn't want another job, which he, you know, he's made all the money. So like, you know, it doesn't have to work and yeah, maybe he truly yeah. doesn't want to do that. And he just has no F's to give and he just starts to, to open up now that now, now then you would pay him. Yeah. But I mean, we don't know if that's true or not true though. No, no, but that would, that would be the only way he becomes interesting. Six, yeah. 12 months from now. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, in terms of Saban, I mean, I don't know what is what his future is because he's got to be. Do you know how old he is off the top of your head? I mean, he's got to be in his seventies, right? That's what I was kind of thinking. Is seventies? Um, I'm going to look it up here real fast. Not a good week for old football coaches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because Bill Belichick. Okay, Saban was born in 1951, and so that is 70 October. So he's 74. So yeah, yeah. I mean. He's got all the money, as you said, so he could do nothing and be perfectly happy. But does he want to be a commentator or something? Uh, I don't think he'd be a very good one, personally. But, you know, I don't know. I thought it was kind of odd that he just retired kind of out of the blue, though. Like, one day he was there, and the next day he's gone, and nobody knew about it. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a surprise. But, you know, and, and some of the post-reporting has been, you know, something we've been talking about for a long time. You know, NIL, Portal, Expanded... Um, expanded eligibility. Oh, I'm going rogue here, but one little minor kind of DMV related story. If you're a, a DMV local, is I am really curious to see what the NCAA does with Talia Tuovailunga. Because do you see how he's applying for a six year of eligibility, claiming that no, a couple I hope. So he see he's entered. He's put his desire to enter in the the portal. He would. He also has petitioned the NCAA for a sixth year of eligibility. Now that that some of that's COVID and and redshirting, but he's claiming that because he did a couple token appearances in a game, and you know, in his first or second, I think it's actually his second year, that that shouldn't count. So, and he's being very explicit that he's basically not ready to be drafted based on his resume at Maryland, which he retires, I think, is their technically their best quarterback. Um, but he needs another year to cook. So he's entered the transfer portal. He's petitioned to have that. Think about this, Steve. If they grant some BS extension for Talia Tuovailunga around, oh, well, you know, you suited up twice in, you know, year two, that doesn't really count. You get another redshirt year. And you got players going on five and six years of eligibility who have gone through the transfer portal once or twice. They also said that if he goes, if he can go to the transfer portal, he probably looks to bank one point five to two million, which is like bridge money. You're getting paid two million to continue to try to up your ability to get drafted. It's really fascinating. This is something to watch. If the NCAA gives Tuvailunga his year of eligibility left, you get almost the opposite. You get the kind of one-and-done feature of basketball or like the two-and-done in football of jumping to the pros. Now you have a world where actually extending your eligibility, banking, and then maybe improving your ability to get drafted is actually a 
is the route for many players. There's no way the NCAA can agree to that. Surely there's no way that can possibly happen. And that's truly the fall of Roman Empire if, you know, in terms of NCAA's amateur sports, if they're allowing this to happen. NCAA's already ruined it, themselves as it is. Just watch it. This is that's one. That's a really kind of an interesting case. I'm sure you know, and you know they're going to have to they're going to have to make a judgment on it sooner than later, considering the the portal windows and all that stuff. It's not. It can't just linger. So, and 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 Saban did did cite some of the post reporting has been like just this new world order. He just at 74, as you say, didn't have the appetite to go, you know, full hog in what he knew he'd have to do. Well, because it's another level of he's got to do because he was I don't think he's necessarily the world's greatest coach in terms of X's and O's tactic tactician on the field where he's great is building teams. He was rec- great at recruiting these people. And once they're there, they're there. And he just can kept recruiting them and he played the best ones. You know, he had guys on that team who were quality a level starters on other teams that didn't start on Al- at Alabama because he's so good at but when you throw the transfer portal and NIL in there that means that he's got to have a whole nother thing to keep track of and do and obviously he didn't want to and I don't blame him yeah you have to basically create an internal recruiting department internal to your team you know you got to re- yeah. you have to recruit your 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 players back every year it just nobody be under the. I want to finish with this because aren't we out of time? I think we're almost out of time yeah. here. <laughs> um, everybody should accept the fact that NCAA football is no longer amateur sports. It is it is a professional sports network. It's not a network. It's a professional sports organization now, and the fundamental nature of amateur sports, I think, is gone forever, and I don't like that. Well, if you want another brick in the wall on that one, watch the Talia Tuovailunga decision here, probably coming up in the next couple of weeks. And you can definitely make the argument that there is nowhere an athlete, at least in the United States, has unlimited free agency like men's college football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll probably do a story on that once the decision comes out. I'm glad you mentioned it. So there's a preview of something to come. Uh, if you could, if you're listening to us on Spotify or iTunes, if you could give us a one to follow, click that follow button um, and leave us a rating and a review. That would be amazing. You can find us on all of your podcasting platforms. Uh, you can also find us on the Hogsty Network homepage. You can find us on the Hogsty YouTube page. Um, and you can actually go to directly to the show link and link and listen right from that URL, which you can find um, on the Hogsty homepage. And follow us on Twitter. It's just Business Pod. Um, starting to get a little bit of engagement there. So um, you can find us there. And we usually tweet out shows, tweet out stories that are interesting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Steve, well, it's, you know, it, it's not a boring time in the world of the Hogsty, I'm sure. No, 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 no. I the 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 crappy season's over, but the more interesting part has begun. Washington has now uh, reportedly hired uh, Peters from uh, the 49ers. What is his name? Adam Peters, I think. Peters to be the new GM. So things are heating up. Um, we're going to cover that on the Hogside Podcast, which is released every Thursday morning, and we have all of our regular written content. Awesome. So there you go. So and not boring in Washington land. And we will see you in two weeks.